Paul's letter to the Romans 13:11-14, 14-1-4. Brethren, salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed, the night is far gone, the day is at hand. Let us then cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light, let us conduct ourselves becomingly as in the day, not in reveling and drunkenness, not in debauchery and licentiousness, not in quarreling and jealousy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make no provision for the flesh, to gratify its desires. As for the man who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not for disputes over opinions. One believes he may eat anything, while the weak man eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who abstains, and let not him who abstains pass judgment on him who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. And he will be upheld, for God is able to make him stand. Dash 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 dash. There are some very interesting metaphors and definitions taking place here. Paul's initial comment should make one pause. In the minds of many people, salvation is an event that takes place once, typically when one makes a decision to ask Jesus into his heart. But this idea of salvation as once and done has no historical support within the church. This is especially true in light of the way Paul uses the term here. If salvation is closer now, as Paul was writing this, than when they first believed, then it cannot be something that takes place at a particular point in one's past. Paul is communicating the idea that salvation is an approaching event. Paul identifies the moment of belief as the starting point for salvation. He is saying that salvation is a process that begins at some point and continues on. As the follower of Jesus Christ lives his life, salvation comes nearer as time passes. Interesting as well as Paul's imagery of light and darkness. Understanding that Paul acknowledges the work of redemption that Jesus Christ accomplished as comprehensive and universal, all reality has shifted from darkness to light. Prior to Jesus' resurrection, all of creation was enslaved to sin and death. Living in spiritual darkness, man only had the blessings and curses of the old covenant by which to structure his life. After death there was only the grave. But now that the night is far gone and the day is at hand, Paul calls the church to live in the light of Jesus' redemptive work and turn away from the darkness of the old covenant and the darkness of enslavement to sin. Paul is teaching them the idea that because we now live in the light of freedom from sin, we should conduct ourselves accordingly. He gives a short list of those things from which we have been freed and from which we ought not partake. He calls them not to engage in reveling and drunkenness, in debauchery and licentiousness, and not in quarreling and jealousy. This is not an exhaustive list but an overview of the kinds of things that all men struggle with. He calls his audience to put on Jesus Christ. To translate this to modern terminology, we need to change our thinking and behavior to align with the transition that Jesus brought with the new covenant. We do not live in the darkness of sin but instead we are in the light of the new covenant, which means that we should act and think like it. The life of the follower of Jesus Christ is one that frames all thoughts, words and actions by love. This is not about feelings but about thinking, saying and doing everything to move ourselves and others toward holiness, even if we don't feel like it. That's the whole point of temptation. There is no sin in being tempted but only when we embrace that temptation and do what we are tempted to do. Paul reminds us that we no longer live in darkness but in the light and we need to live, knowing that this is true. Paul's focus then shifts from being attentive to our own thoughts and behaviors to the behavior of our neighbor. He touches back on a topic that he had previously discussed, that of eating or not eating. Paul reminds us that eating or not eating is our business, for we will have to answer to God for what we do or do not do. Eating or not eating has no impact on our salvation. We need to think of how our behavior can affect others and the direction it may move them toward holiness. If we are doing something that causes someone else to sin, then we are not acting in love. 
Paul tells us that the things we do because we are free to do so cannot be done if it causes someone else to sin. To do so is an act of selfishness and not an act of love. It is not our place to judge someone else for doing something that we believe to be wrong and it is not the place of anyone else to judge us for doing something that they believe to be wrong. We alone will answer to God for how we have loved our neighbor. Our own path of choices, sins, confession, and repentance is our path. And others on a path toward holiness as well will answer for themselves, not us. We are to judge no one for their behavior. Paul's closing comment is especially encouraging. When one comes to believe in Jesus Christ as the Messiah and begins the journey toward salvation, it is not the sins that he commits that matters, what matters is the confession and repentance that follows. As Paul says, God is able to make him stand. This means that the man who sins a million times will rise again when he confesses and repents, because it is God who raises him back up. It is not about being strong enough, or about being good enough. It is about knowing one's own weakness, acknowledging one's inability to save himself and trusting in the saving work of Jesus Christ. It is in understanding that we have sinned, confessing it and repenting every time that we do so. It is this man whom God will raise back up. It is not the place of anyone to judge another. The most heinous sinner will be saved if he confesses and repents, for God will make him stand.